and gentlemen, boys and girls, and everybody in between. He's a South Texan poppy poet living that hashtag middle class gay life. It's Chibi. She's a little bit Selena, a little bit JLo, and a whole lot of Pisces. It's Rocky. And this is Words and Shit. The show where you get to know the person behind the poetry. Brought to you by Write Art Out. Hi. Hi, Brian. Hey, Rocky. We're back in the studio. We are. <laughs> we are. For y'all that don't know, um, Chibi loves this uh, studio set up for me. He just, he just always adores it. He's like, can we make this happen all the time? Well, I think, too, it'll just both of us be back in the studio because last week we were live in a bar and, you know, oh, yeah. it was an experiment. It was an adventure. <laughs> but I, I love the comfort and the reliability of the studio. Right. Yes, yes, I know that's I totally forgot that well, I was still in the studio, you weren't. <laughs> but that was very fun just to kind of like do like two different platforms or two different venues at the same time. Yeah. It speaks on our hustle, really. That's what I was gonna say. It's part of the hustle, it's part of the grind, always trying to invent something new, you know, mm-hmm. always trying to come up with 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 the next thing, right? Like exactly. we're both organizers. Um yeah in a certain capacity. Like I know I have 17 spinning plates going at any given moment. And, and Mm -hmm. uh, you work, you work in the school organizing events for students. Yes. And then I, you know, I think when people think I just organize, I'm like, great. But at the same time, I'm sitting on like many committees, right? Presidential ones, other ones with students, with faculty and staff. So it just never stops really. Yeah. Yeah, I know. I know for me, like we've got words and shit, write out out, blah, uh, hosting events with write about now, working on a new book, you know, trying to start a lit mag, like there's so many things happening. And um, even though like for the past 16 plus months, you know, like it almost has been kind of like the world is at a standstill, like burnout is still real. Yes, I think even like burnout in the the time of Corona is on a different level, really, because um, we're not only talking about putting our bodies through multiple different organizations or projects that we're going through, but at the same time, like the stress of this pandemic, mm-hmm. <laughs> right, and this new variant, um, which is it is very stressful and it's it can definitely lead to so many people to burn out to depression, anxiety. It's, you know, it's been ongoing for the past year and a half now. Mm-hmm. So like, what are some of the things that you like to do to kind of like maybe help alleviate or manage the burnout, prevent it? Like how are some of the ways that you just like give yourself the space to. <sighs> um, so I think right now it's been wine. <laughs> <laughs> Wine and salud, yeah, salud. Um, Wine and some, um, you know, spending time with friends and family, right, Um, when we can. And really just kind of be in that moment of happiness. I think we talk about a lot that joy is an act of revolution. And so to be joyful, to take these moments of happiness during these very unprecedented times is a way for me to try to, like, relax um that and dancing i love dancing <laughs> okay by myself okay. with other people like in my bedroom in my like underwear <laughs> it, it, it can be for whatever reason <laughs> i'll take it i'll take it i twerk in the kitchen <laughs> i know <laughs> exactly so how about you what other ways do you have you been you know preventing 
burnout because you do so many things right now. <laughs> and always. Um, I think for me, one, one of the biggest things is just allowing grace and forgiveness. Like mm. if, if I didn't get everything accomplished that I needed to today, it's okay. Yeah. You know, and just giving yourself the the space to acknowledge what you can accomplish. And then I, I do, I do check out entirely and have recently just di mm -hmm. dived into video games, which is kind of new in my life, kind of not, they've always been there, but I've never played as much as I'm playing these days because it's like, no, I need to disconnect mm -hmm. because I mentally cannot be productive anymore. I'm just yeah. staring at a screen and, and so upset. So uh, that has been kind of like my go-to, like, all right, disconnect, wind down, recharge and go again you know i know i was about to say you gave up the pokemon cards no 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 those are still there <laughs> but those require with mental the... facility i am <laughs> almost undefeated so i need to stay on my game for that one no 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 it's, it's, it's like playing mario kart or something right <laughs> something that doesn't require a lot of mental capacity but um we bring up the subject of burnout because our mm -hmm. guest today uh, besides being an incredible writer who managed to publish a book during uh, an entire pandemic, is also an organizer, is also a promoter, is an activist, an educator. Susie Q. Smith is our guest today. She has two collections of poetry, A Gospel of Bones and Poems for the End of the World, which just came out from Finishing Line Press. Susie Q has also worked extensively as an activist with civil rights organizations, victims advocate organizations, arts organizations, peace organizations, hospitals, prisons, to name just a few, and has served as a teaching artist with Youth on Record and as a coach of the Denver Minor Disturbance Youth Poetry Slam, resulting in not one, but two international championships. She was the founding slam master of Denver Slam Nuba. We cut heads. And she spent 12 years in the poetry slam arena as a coach, organizer, and performer. Y'all who are watching at home, show some love in the comments section. Susie Q. Smith, welcome Woo! to the show. Hey, everyone. Thank you for having me. This is exciting. Oh, no. we are so happy to have you. Stage, and I was just like, "Oh, same, me too." Yep. Uh huh. Let's talk about it. <laughs> I know, I know. I saw you in the chat. I was like, "Okay, okay, we can, <laughs> we can get to there because this is your show, really." You know, um, if you want to like talk about what you are doing, and if you have a favorite song that you you know like to dance to, this is this is the time, Susie. <laughs> well, the time to let us know. Important, you know. I do feel like that is uh, a way that we keep ourselves alive. I think that twerking mm -hmm. is some a way we reclaim our bodies, reclaim ourselves. I dance pretty much every day. That's definitely one of my approaches. So I was like, yes. And then, oh, twerk while cooking, of course, right? <laughs> all of these things. This is like all life affirming behavior. So I love yeah. it, bro. Yeah. So I, I do need to clarify. When I say I twerk, it is not anything that is socially acceptable or even commendable. Like no one would appreciate my twerks. It's just the way my body moves. And some people would call it having a seizure, but. Does it feel like to do it? That's the point. Absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I do it for myself. It's not for other people. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Oh, I'm so glad that we're all on the same page about working and, and dancing by our, for ourselves and for joy. Um, you know, we can like talk about 
I think is like dancing and, and happiness just talks about our heart. And I feel I always want to talk to our guests about this. So you're going to be talking about intimate things with us and you're going to basically, you know, be our friend for the next hour or so. So how's your heart today, Susie? How's your heart today, friend, this month, this year? Just let us know. Well, it's pretty good today. Um, it's been it's been nice. Like these last couple of days have been relatively. It's been you know when, when thinking about burnout, like the workload has been overwhelming for a while. Like pre pandemic, it was wild, um, and it's wild now. So recently, I sort of rebalanced my life a little bit, and so now I'm just just now like experiencing that as of August. I'm like, okay, now I can approach this. So I got to like sit in a couple of writing workshops today, and that was fresh. And like I didn't have to teach them; I got to be like a student in them. So I took a workshop with Julian Randall and one with Jose Olivares, and I was like, this is beautiful. I could just be on Zoom and write to somebody else's prompts. Bet like this is delicious. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> So that was really nice. Um, I love teaching and I do a lot of teaching, right? So I um, went back to teaching middle school full time in oh, January wow. of, last, of 2020. Mm, mm. Oh, wow. <laughs> oh, no. it's so it's been, it's been a hectic time. I've now pulled that back to half time. So that's going to be a lot more balanceable. But I also uh, just finished teaching in a graduate school residency yesterday. Um, mm. And I also still have been teaching um, inside. Colorado State prisons. So there's been a, a there's been a lot. So I'm usually uh, responsible for what's going on in whatever given room I walk into. So it's really nice to like be in a space that I'm not in charge of and go like, oh, someone else has got this and it's beautiful. So I got to write a little bit and vibe. So today my heart's feeling encouraged and joyful. Encouraged, mm. joyful, and recharged. I think as as fellow organizers and facilitators, we can all relate to, oh, I don't have to do shit here, but right. enjoy myself. <laughs> I can just pull up a chair in the back and see what's up. <laughs> I love it. Well, I can't wait to dive into some deep conversation with you about all these things uh, and your books and all that fun stuff. Uh, but we, we already have fans in the audience, which I love. <laughs> a Gospel of Bones is one of the best things in any genre I've read in years. Thank you so much, Susie, says Jean, Jean Ann. Um, but before we dive into the conversation and before we dive into the poetry, we like to open up with a little segment called speed dating. Uh, so what we're going to do is ask you a, a quick series of questions just so that the audience can get to know a little bit about you uh, and feel free to answer these as in-depthly or as concisely as you feel is necessary. Okay. So first question, the zombie apocalypse is happening and there is a helicopter outside your door, ready to take you to a facility that has all the necessities to survive, food, shelter, clothing, but you can only take what you can hold in your hands with you. What are you taking? Does that include people? Uh, let, let's say your loved ones are coming too. Okay, all right. You don't uh, have to choose between your daughter or your dog, right? <laughs> I'm definitely grabbing my kid, okay. Um, yeah. Oh, this is a challenging one. I'm I'm probably gonna go with um, you know, notebooks and paper. That's those are important. Um yeah, I'd say probably if that's the one thing I can grab, because I'm the internet's probably not gonna work anymore, right? So like you know what I mean? Like so I feel like just like old school paper pens, that's gonna be highly valuable in the new situation if it's not already there. Uh, but if that's if it's already gonna be there though, photo albums, like old photo albums. I think okay. would probably be worth having because I can't replace those. 
Yeah. Well, someone's got to document the zombie apocalypse, so it might as well be yeah. an accomplished writer. <laughs> I think, uh, I don't know that, I've, I've talked a lot about the apocalypse with folks, and I think I've, you know, I've watched enough of like the, the you know, the survivalist people. Have you ever watched any of those shows? Like the, mm -hmm. the trying to make it. And I've just, just kind of accepted like, oh, I'm not going to make it. That's fine. I don't, I, you know what I mean? Like I read the road. I've watched <laughs> it. You know what? I'm just going to go ahead and see what's next let's just go into the next you know what i'm i don't have to so realistically like depending on what it looks like I, who all is going to be in the in the space because i might not get on that helicopter i might be like you know, what? <laughs> Call it, you know? it's all right um it's been a good run and i might I might do that so i think it kind of i think i do have that question like who else is going to be in this like warehouse situation and what is that you know like how do i want it i don't know but if my daughter's there i'll go okay <laughs> I love it. I love it. I feel like we're all the same energy. So there's always that one person like, oh, I got the plan. I'm like, no, I, <laughs> I'm going to like just just admit to myself I'm going to last for maybe five days. And that's it. <laughs> I mean, I know people who really are full on doomsday preppers. Like they're ready for, you know, like they've got food storage and et cetera. Like I have like basic necessities, you know, because COVID. But yeah. like I'm not, am I going to live underground in a bunker? Mm, <laughs> with who? What? <laughs> does does surviving require running? Because if so, I mean, I'm not she gonna ain't making it. I'm not gonna make it. I don't run. I dance. I dance. I don't run. <laughs> <laughs> love it. I love it. <laughs> um, hopefully, like the zombies, just like would join you dancing, like Michael Jackson, like Thriller. That's my best like, option to survive that. One hundred percent choreograph the zombies. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Um, my next my next question is not uh, so. <laughs> so elaborate it's very simple it's basically what is your current obsession right now okay truthfully probably fitness it is uh i got you know i mean i'm home a lot and i started really being able to work out like consistently every day at home once we all went home and so I do, I have like my living room is pretty much a home gym now, like all of the things I've got, like, I even have like weight gloves for my weights now. Um, wow. Like That's when you know it's legit. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so I've got like multiple like variations of weights. I have, you know, many different types of resistance bands. I have, I have a stair stepper little thingy, you know, there was the, the step. I've, it's so prop fitness is probably true. I don't run, I don't run, but I do dance and I do lift a little bit. So those are my, <laughs> I work out pretty much every day. So that's probably, that's like kind of one of the ways that I've kept myself well and as sane as possible through all of this is just being mm -hmm. able to like remember like to be in my body. Mm -hmm. I, I need to, I need to catch whatever bug you got. Cause uh, I, I, I gained the COVID weight. It happened. <laughs> uh. Work out with Kiera Lachey. Uh, and she's my fave. Love her. Uh, if you can move.com. She didn't pay me to I'm say writing. that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm writing it down though. I'm writing it down. Okay. Um, on, on the flip side of that, uh, if we're you know, on the indulgence side of that, what I like to ask this of everybody, what is your favorite food dish to eat? <laughs> you know, I have yet to meet a potato I didn't like. So, oh. hence I, I do need to work out every day because uh, <laughs> girls familiar with a French fry, a tater tot, you understand? Yeah. Like, <laughs> and the potato in all its forms. I mean, pretty much, you know, like a sweet potato is cool as well. Like, you mm -hmm. know, I pretty much can get down with a roasted potato, a mashed potato, like whatever, however you're doing it, I probably am here for it. 
Oh, wow. I love it. I love it. I'm down there with you too. Oh, yeah. good potato. All right. And then I guess my last question um, is what would young Susie Q be proud of of the you right now? A lot. You know, mm. I, I feel very much like I'm the person I meant to be, even if mm. I wasn't always positive that it was possible. Mm. Um, and that I, I am myself and I've gotten to survive this long as myself. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, I think I, I'd be pretty proud of a lot of those things. I do feel like writing is a form of time travel, right? I, I speak to that mm -hmm. young self frequently, you know, and I feel like in many of the hardest moments of my life, you know, I envision like a future version of myself coming to me to like give me some wisdom and encouragement. And now in that future version of myself, I have to go back to the past and be like, baby, it's all right. Come on, come on, keep coming. <laughs> um, and I still have to like kind of have regular conversations with my past and future selves, you know? Mm, no, that's so that's so important. Thank you, thank you for that. I love that, and I can't wait to dive into the conversation to get to know who the person that you are now and your journey to get to here. Um, so we're going to dive into conversation in just a moment, uh, but first we want to remind the audience that's watching: please use that comment section. Some of you are real active on it, and I'm digging for it. Be part of the conversation. If you got questions for Susie Q, you just drop them in the comment section. We will pick them up from there. Uh, but before we dive in there, let's start off with some poetry. Susie, if you could please give us a poem to kick us off. Okay. Um, so I thought I would start us out with something a little bit tender. And this is from Poems for the End of the World, mm -hmm. uh, which is not, well, we'll talk more about it. <laughs> so this piece is called Ocotillo. When a seed is planted or buried, abandoned to the soil, it may not know this is a gift. Yes, sis, cry, wail, moan, tear your hair and gnash your teeth all at it, then wash the dishes. For much of the year, Ocotillo appears to be an arrangement of large, spiny, dead sticks. With rainfall, the plant becomes lush with green leaves. When water is scarce, the leaves turn brown and fall off. Every earth crack thirsty yearning is a seed. Plant it, let it crane toward the sun and bloom. The seeds, the small ones say mustard, get jealous or pray to become bigger seeds. Do they ever wish they could fill themselves up with air? Is that how they imagine growth? Sometimes I press my fingers toward the invitation of sky and say, yes, bend my face to the sun and laugh, remembering how I once clung to the shell I believed was me. <laughs> with rain, we find Ocotillo swelling, blooming open into bloodshot flowers, earning it the name Desert Coral. Girl, braid your hair or wrap it up and go, even weeping if you must, somewhere the sun will touch your face. The hummingbird migrating through the long desert relies upon the flowers of the Ocotillo for honey nectar. Did you forget the kindness of wind and its longing for your skin, the unrepentant gaze of desert sky? The rivers that open their mouths to your sorrows, ready to carry them someplace you do not need to go. I reimagine myself daily. I abandon old wounds to the soil until they fertilize it. Everything, even waste, has a purpose. Ocotillo can grow up to 20 feet tall. Some say they can live over 100 years. Yes, sis, live. Let your bare feet sink into the mud. I have been afraid and filled with air before. Did not know I was a small, hard world becoming large as I unfold. And I will tell you, 
and I would tell me, I forget and forget my way. What is sweeter than longing for loose, escapable soil is to be rooted in rock, becoming honey on a tender tongue. Mm. Mm. So beautiful, ah. so, so beautiful. I just wanna know, um, particularly like this, this plant that you're speaking about in your poem, um, why, why this, like, what's the meaning behind it? What like sentimental value did you have that you're like, I need to write about, um, um, is it Opatil? Opatil. So it's, uh, I think part of it is being, you know, from the West, like, you know, I've lived in Colorado my whole life. So being like in this, you know, high plains desert, uh, there's something about desert landscapes. That's kind of always been a part of my experience. Mm -hmm. Um, I also watch a lot of nature documentaries. I also like, you know, um, am a lot of a hippie, you know, half the homies are herbalists, etc. I do live in Colorado. <laughs> <laughs> we believe in plant medicines around here. Uh -huh. <laughs> but um, so I think that there's just something really nurturing about that. And so Ocotillo is a really, it, it really looks dead when you look at it, right? And then it grows these really brilliant flowers. And when they grow, right, the, those flowers actually are what allow hummingbirds to like make their journey through the, all the way across the Northwest, right? So that's the nectar that helps them survive through the desert. So they seem like they're dead and then they like bloom really briefly in these really vivid flowers. And so like when they come to life, they are so alive. And so it's just one of those that like seeing that there's so many metaphors in nature and lessons in nature that when we just pay attention to what's around us, right? Even like something that looks entirely done for, right? It's just like, no, there's still mm -hmm. some life in there. Mm -hmm. And not only is there some life in there, but there's also um, the ability to give some life to other beings, right? And that you're actually essential, right? The hummingbirds are not going to make it without the Ocotillo blooming. So it's um, just thinking about that in those times when I feel completely drained, exhausted, and barely alive. Like, no, nah, it's still some left. It's just a season. That's all this is, right? Just oh. mm. And that we have so our seasons and we have our flowering seasons. Mm. That's all it is. Um, so I don't apologize for the seasons anymore or get afraid of them anymore. I'm like, okay. Mm. We're just quiet for a minute. It's all right. Uh, oh, I love that. You know, apologize for the seasons. That is amazing. Writing that's, that down, putting yeah, it. I know, right? Shirt. That's, that's going to be quoted after this. <laughs> yeah. I'm, wow. I'm, I'm curious because the book is called Poems for the End of the World. Uh, everything, like that poem that you just shared and everything you talked about it to, like, uh, it, it's giving me, you know, like Ada Limon instructions on not giving up vibes, right? Where we, we return to nature, right? Like nature mm -hmm. just continues even at the end of the world. I'm curious because I haven't gotten a chance to get my hands on a copy of this book. Is the nature motif like consistent throughout this book? Do you find yourself returning to nature a lot in these poems? There's definitely some nature in this. I wrote a lot of this book while sitting in gardens um, in mm -hmm. workshops. So there is definitely a nature motif, but it's also very... Um, the theme of it is similar in the sense that the world ends a lot <laughs> and has <laughs> in so many ways. And so it's examining all of these different kinds of world endings and continuings, right? As it's happening all the time. So there's also heartbreak, right? You know, someone breaking your heart is definitely a world ending for a minute until uh -huh. it's right. And then like a new world emerges, right? Over and over. When you think about, you know, like that seed opening, right? That's a world ending for that seed. <laughs> also the beginning of a life. So I'm sure it feels really terrifying for that little seed and wanting to hang on to that shell, right? But um, it's over, it's just that cyclical, it's seasonal, right? So life and death are cyclical and world ending and beginning happens at the same time every day. 
Yeah. I think that is like really speaks to what we're going through right now, even through this pandemic, right? Because so many people's lives have ended, you know, or they had to like start anew again or reinvent themselves because of their jobs or because they're stuck at home or they had to just be a new person. So I think this is it's so interesting that it's the end of the world. You're writing this during, you know, the pandemic of coronavirus, right? Um, and but you're still finding like nature to really ground you and, and, and be there and like speak with the earth. So I think that's so, so powerful. Yeah. I'm, I'm curious with the, with the book itself, you know, like it's called poems for the end of the world and pretty heavy subject considering we're in a pandemic, mm -hmm. right. We're all kind of going through this, this uh, moment of rebirth. Like what are your kind of your, your hopes for this book? What do you hope that it accomplishes when, when people read it? I hope that people are comforted by the, you know, those, the, the end of the world approaching. So uh, this book actually was titled uh, before the pandemic. So that was already, and many of these poems were written the summer prior. Most of these poems were written in the 2019-ish era. Um, and then later edits, I was like, oh, after it was already, you know, with the publisher working through it, which is why it is a little late coming out. <laughs> I guess I was adding some pieces and making some changes to it later. But, but most of it was already done before this. Um, mm. And, uh, you know, unfortunately, timely. <laughs> Serendipitously. Right, when you consider again, like, you know, the world ending is not new. It's been ending for a long time and beginning for a long time, right? And grief is not new, right? We're experiencing now a collective grief that I think that, um, you know, we haven't begun to really heal from, right? I don't know that any of us have been able to really take the slowness necessary to heal from the losses, right? So, um, you know, many of our lives are dramatically different and then many of us have actually lost loved ones, right, to the virus. Um, and things surrounding the virus, right? All of the things that have been unfolding around it, people that have not sought medical care when they needed to because of the virus, or people that didn't get access to medical care when they needed to because of the virus, because overextension and all of these other things, right? Or because of losing a job and not having health insurance. There's so many different ways that it's, you know, literally ended people's lives. Um, and those of us who, are, who remain here um, still have to grieve, right? And still have to, and that is a huge world ending, right? Grief is a is one of the ways that our world ends. So I hope that as people experience the poems that they receive some comfort. I think that actually between the two books, so both of them actually came out this year, Gospel of Bones came out in February mm -hmm. and then Poems from the, for the End of the World came out last month. And so it's been an interesting time. I think that Poems for the End of the World is actually much more comforting than <laughs> <laughs> Gospel of Bones. Um, so the the title is really kind of that that continuity. It's like, yes, there. this is what we read when the world is ending. Mm. Yeah. It's one, like, sort of a heart hug. That's what a lot of these poems I do think do. No, I, and I, <laughs> I think like, no, when you're talking about that, we're just collectively grieving, you know, and I don't think we'll, even in our generation, we'll heal from this pandemic. I don't think so. I think we're going to have that generational trauma. Um, but I, your two books for even right now, I think will definitely lend into this. I guess I don't, this renaissance of post or like during renaissance of of Corona, does that make sense? You know, like <laughs> where would we put this like new literature that's being produced during this time? Um, and I think that is, that's great. And I guess, you know, if it's gonna be generational trauma that we're trying to heal, um, what else do you think um, will help with that other than, other than your words? Yeah. I mean, I think that community care too, right? Mm -hmm. I think that, you know, I work with a lot of different 
poets, a lot of different writers in all kinds of different life circumstances. And one thing that is generally true is the thing that brings people to poetry is uh, grief, trauma, sorrow, despair, <laughs> right? Whether it's like your first like 12 year old crush not liking you back or like whatever the movie, like most of us come to poetry through despair. Mm -hmm. And so this is definitely a time for poetry, <laughs> right? Both reading it and writing it, right? Like we, it's a language that comforts us in those really, really challenging times. And so I think that we'll see a lot of poetry, but I think also systems of community care really, really building and enhancing. I think especially when, when I think about my family, when I think about people of color generally in this country, like so many systems have failed us since forever anyway, that we already have like pretty well established systems of community care for each other, right? We know how to look after one another, but we show up for one another because we've always had to. And I think that as we see more of these like larger systems failing us collectively and societally, we'll start seeing like, I think enhanced systems of care, community care that we are really showing up for each other in some better ways. And I'm seeing a lot of people, you know, in this really like beautiful um, refusal, right? To put themselves at risk. And I'm seeing like a lot of people refusing to go back to work. And I'm seeing like employers having to pay more. <laughs> I mean, like yeah. all of these things that are just like all of these systems that have been failing us for a very long time, all of these things that were wildly unsustainable, right? hopefully this will shift to something that is more sustainable and we can actually live in some kind of harmony with each other and, and the planet that we share. So that's, that's, I think the hope, right. And maybe some poetry can help comfort us while we do it. Perfect. Yeah. And you, and you saw that too in the, the rise of like mutual aid organizations that, mm -hmm. that started to really like, not just pop up, but like blossom. It's just the, the, the people have said like, all right, the, the people that are in charge, the people that are supposed to be doing this work for us aren't. So we're done waiting. We're just going to mm -hmm. do it for our damn selves because exactly. you, you ain't worth shit. Um, go vote people, vote for people that are worth shit. Any so that's my soapbox. Um, <laughs> let me ask you then about this this collection or we, we can talk about both collections, either collection. Uh, Cause you said most of these poems were um, uh, were written like summer 2019-ish and whatnot, and then going through the publishing process. Like, what is what is your process? Because you essentially put out two books almost simultaneously. <laughs> uh, speaking of hustling, um, what is your process of putting a book together? Like, how did this book come together? Do you have a process? What I have happened? some processes. Uh, they weren't meant to be twins. <laughs> so a Gospel of Bones was originally meant to come out last year, but because of the virus, everything was delayed. And yeah. so that book was born very late. Um, and then this other one was like, oh, all right, we're gonna just do them at the same time. That was not the plan at all. They're very different books and very different publishers and very different processes. But um, that's just, that's how it went. So I'm not, I've just, it's just, I was surprised. That's <laughs> <laughs> I didn't, so that's, it's not necessarily like, I just like really hustled and wrote these two books just now. Like I've been working on both collections separately for a long time. And they both happen to be born now because the publishing process is very slow. So especially when you are trying, it's it's challenging enough, even just trying to place like a single poem with a journal or something, right? Mm -hmm. Like wait 
six months before they finally reject you. Ooh, you know, <laughs> and that's not a comment. If you even hear back, right? Like it's, yeah. it's months yeah. of waiting just for a poem. So for, for a full collection of poems, it can take, you know, a year, two years, three. I, I got an email from a publisher maybe a couple months ago saying like, oh, hey, we finally got to this manuscript. Manuscript, We'd love to publish it. And I said, oh, no, that one's out now. <laughs> I forgot that you exist. So it's a slow, slow process. Um, and so these are, you know, some of these poems have been worked on pretty carefully for a million years. So, and then the timing just finally happened. But um, it's, you know, I write, I write a lot. I write almost every day, at least a little bit, you know, I try to observe something beautiful and interesting every day and write it down. So if I only get like a couple of lines down, then I only get a couple of lines down. Some days I don't make it all the way to paper. I did mention I teach middle school. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yes. so don't always uh, make it to paper. So I try. Um, and then eventually, you know, then I go through the editing process, right? So I usually write pretty freely. And then the editing process, when I try to make something with all of that writing, and that's a completely different process, completely different part of my brain. And then I start seeing like things that might be a thread, something that connects the poems to each other, something that they might, you know, kind of have, I start trying to find a spine, right? And then we like, oh, that's this body, this, this, that's this body. And I figure out which poems go where. And sometimes, you know, this lovely tapestry will come down and there'll just be poems tacked up all around. <laughs> wow. Love and it. the floor, that's when I get very, very old school. I'll print them all out, you know, in a big thing and I'll spread them out and start making edits and arranging and rearranging, like, you know, shuffling cards and feeling how it feels and I read them out loud and I read one poem to the other poem and decide how they relate to each other and whether or not they dig each other and being on pages next to each other, all of those things. It's a, And then once I've finally gone through that painstaking process, which takes years, yeah. then I send it out to publishers and then they take years. So, <laughs> wow. Wow. Like, first of all, I wish I could like, just see <laughs> if you, you know, if you ever do just post it on Instagram or anywhere so we could all see your just process that, you know, in the, during your process of uh, selecting these poems and arranging them. That is amazing. Um, I feel like I, I work in the same way and I, I know definitely Chibi does. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I feel like even all that, right rearranging um your poems and working with middle schoolers and having this teaching um residency it's a lot and i know in the very beginning of our show we were talking about how to prevent burnout um but and you know we talked a little bit that you want to you know you dance but what do you really do to take breaks for yourself in between all these different i guess ways of you know giving yourself to people and to the world and to your pages mm -hmm. So, I mean, we talk about self-care sometimes like as this really cute thing, right? Like, you know, bubble baths and, you know, like yes to a bubble bath. However, um, really, I think self-care requires, um, you have to be a little bit thuggish around protecting yourself, right? Like I have to be very, I have to be my best advocate. And that means saying no a lot. That means having really like um, firm boundaries that I communicate with people. That also means like sometimes it costs relationships. That means it costs like, you know what I mean? Like there are certain things that, you know, but it's also self-care. And sometimes I have to choose between me and other people, mm. you know, and the people who mind see themselves out, right? <laughs> That's just generally how it goes, um, you know, that kind of care. And that also includes, right? Uh, not only personal relationships, but professional relationships, right? Mm. Healthy boundaries and protecting yourself. And for the people who can honor that, those are the people that I welcome into my life joyfully, right? Those who understand that I, I also have lived with chronic illness my whole life, right? So it's very, very like people have to know, like I can do what I can do and then I have to stop. 
And if you want to push me past that point, then you're actually coming for my health and my wellness. Mm. And you don't love me. And if you don't love me, why am I talking to you? Mm, go. <laughs> so that's just like either we're on team wellness and we want the best for everybody, or we don't we don't kick it. And so holding that firm bout, and that's also, you know, there's grieving in that, right? Because you end up losing a lot of relationships, right? And also sometimes oppor opportunities, right? No. Um, <laughs> but I think that also so much of our society is really, um, you know, we're very well conditioned to being abused, right? When we think about most of like our jobs, when we think about most of our, you know, like there's so much in it and we're so accustomed to like harming ourselves, right? And martyring ourselves in all these ways, especially if you live a life of service, this path of service and like teaching, I've been teaching it in nonprofits and et cetera, et cetera, this whole time. So there is this idea that you're just constantly supposed to be giving of yourself and like mm -hmm. there it is, which is cool. I give what I can mm -hmm. and then I don't what I can't. <laughs> and I hold that very, very firmly, right? And that's also true like as a creative person, as a writer, as a you know, as an artist, like all of those things, right? People will always come for your creative time. And people are generally like not going to respect it all the time, right? They don't understand like what it really takes to do all of the things that we do. And so it's important to protect that time. And so people know like when I'm working, you're close to me and I'm working on a project, like, you know, like don't expect me to answer the phone. Like, unless it's an emergency, don't even hit me up. Like, you know, if you one thing about me, <laughs> I will be on do not disturb. So <laughs> I mean, you know, if you are not bleeding out, I don't know why you are hitting me right now. Cause we can't, I'm, I'm working. And so, and just kind of understanding that like there are, there are months that, that people who love me dearly, who I love dearly, they, we're not going to see each other um, because, because I have to do my work. And so those, all of those things are part of the care. Um, and then also, yeah, but resting and accepting my off seasons too and chilling when I need to chill and having fun and dancing again, pretty much every day, feeding myself well, resting well, right? Like I'm serious about my sleep. People really talk about like, like they don't sleep. Like it's like sleep is for the week or something. I'm like, oh no, no, no. Your girl gets chronic migraines. <laughs> I sleep. Yeah. yeah. To, uh, yeah. <laughs> to quote Rooster, 10,000% agreement here. Uh, <laughs> absolutely. Um, for sure. I'm one of those that needs seven to nine hours of sleep on the regular. Otherwise, I'm not functioning. Um, yeah. and, and I really respect and appreciate those those you know, when people do put up those boundaries, you know, because it is a sign of like self-awareness, right? You know what mm -hmm. you can and cannot do. And there's no, there, there's no malintent, you know, like uh, somebody in the comments said, um, those who mind don't matter and those who matter don't mind, right? We, we understand that, you know, you, you got to take care of yourself. And I know we wanted to have you on the show last season and it just was not in the cards, not in the schedule. And I was like, that's fine. You know, whenever, whenever you can, you know, the door is open because we want to, we want to have you on and, and, and feature you in this way. So, uh, one, I really appreciate you saying no when you did and saying yes when you could, um, so thank well, you. For thank you for leaving the door open for me to come when I can. Because uh, also the truth is like when I'm not well fed, when I'm not well rested, I'm not a nice person. You don't want me here when I'm not. Yeah. Hey. <laughs> no, it's the same. Yeah, of course, of course. No, we're all about healing. I think we're definitely as artists, as creatives, you know, we really have to put emphasis on healing um, and taking care of ourselves. So uh, I do a little quick transition, you know, uh, I really find your, you know, your work really healing in so many levels. If you could share another poem right now for us, I think that would be, that'd be great. Mm, I would love to share another poem. 
and I don't know which one I'm gonna share. <laughs> Rocky just hit you with that real smooth transition. <laughs> no, it's it also I think there was one that I I thought I would read, and I changed my mind. Is also what happened, which happens every single time. Um, yeah, I like like you know set lists or whatever. Oh, ever. <laughs> I don't ever do what I think I'm going to do. And that's okay, right? That's also just, I got to stay open a little bit to what needs to happen. And I think, but this isn't the one that's coming either. I keep changing my mind. And so we're hey, going to just decide together what poem. That's, that's fine. It's, it goes back to the, the, the slam rules where it's like, oh, I don't know which poem to do. I don't know what the audience is going to respond to. You do the poem that you feel like doing. Yes. I think, um, yeah, I always think that I'm going to do a thing, and I'm I'm changing my mind, and so this is the this is the mind changer. I thought I was initially going to do like one from each book, and I think that's just not what's happening. Um, instead, I'm going to read another one from Poems for the End of the World, and so this one is called "Sing Over the Bones," and this is what we call the Black Girl Blues. Ain't called it depression so much as Tuesday, when we forget the promise of Saturday night sweat and Sunday morning song, when we forget to call tomorrow holy because it's another hill to climb, when today leaves bruises, catches round our throats and leaves our voices whispers, when we forget to rebuke madness and call it the truth, we must remember to say to ourselves, you are not crazy. Resist when they snap at you to stretch your scab skin back over your bones. You will grow it anew every time. If your veins are easy to see, this does not mean that you are easy to kill, only that your life is impossible to ignore. You are a bleeding sun. When the calluses form, tear your skin from its meat, peel yourself open and let them smell the fruit of you. Spill into every mouth that speaks your name. Stain their fingers, you. You, magnificent point of light, a swallowing supernova. You are hammer and pickaxe, belly full of lava. You are a forever thing. When dark has forgotten its own weakness, you are flame, dancing it into hush. You are a blistering miracle, sun and sand tangled into indistinguishable horizon hum. And the earth will keep its course. You song, you lovely, you yes, you fiery stone mouth, you fleshy mirror, you pulpy always, you marvelous in your questing, glorious in pursuit of humble corners. You worship, you godchild, you queen of margins and handwritten notes. There is nothing wrong with you. You are a unicorn in a herd of goldfish muddying the pond and no one has learned yet to sing your name. You star, you stone, you shine, you always, you inextinguishable, you perfect, you perfect. Light applause, light applause, light applause. To my cousin Brandy, who I see in the comments. Hey, Brandy. Oh my gosh. <laughs> So beautiful. Wow. I feel like the way that you write are love letters or love words, you know, to to the people who are reading it, to your community. And that's so powerful. Um, actually, I was looking at a TED Talk to know that your family used to write love letters in the form of poetry. Is that correct? This is true. Yes. My great grandfather used to write love poems to my great grandmother. And that wow. is how they fell in love. He was the mailman. And so he would like sneak these love letters in. <gasps> uh, <laughs> wow. I know. I was like, what are you talking about? <laughs> um, she, uh, yeah, she, so she was a pianist. 
and he was a poet. And um, they were both gone before I was born, but I was raised by my grandmother. And so these are her parents. So I always grew up hearing stories about them. So I feel like I've always known them, even if I never did. Um, and that is how, so we also like, it's very common in our family, you know, as my cousin Brandy can attest, right? <laughs> to be to be sharing poetry. That's something that we've always done. Um, our Aunt Sheila, for instance, like has been, you know, performing Paul Lawrence Dunbar and all types of like recitation of poetry at family reunions. Our family reunions are very much talent shows. Um, we get down. <laughs> uh, facts. <laughs> this, is this is really what goes down. So um, I'm really grateful that I got to grow up in a tradition of art and um, mm. expression and that being a normal part, an expected part of who we are and how we live. Mm. Oh, I love that. And now you are you are continuing that tradition of, of sharing art and bringing people up through art. Uh, as you said, you've been a teacher. Uh, for for many many years and mm -hmm. so many different grade levels, um, as someone who has just recently finished a year of teaching middle schoolers, <sighs> collective <laughs> breath, collective <laughs> breath, <laughs> breath. yes, yeah, sixth and seventh graders. Mm -hmm. Woo! Uh, what is? I'm, I'm, just, I'm just <laughs> curious. I'm processing this trauma. No, I loved those kids. They're they're brilliant. It's just a lot to handle. Um, what is your favorite age group to teach and why? You know, I, I teach a lot of different age groups and, and for, because they all, I love them all for really different reasons, you know, like, so just this past week, like I finished working with adults who are, you know, pursuing writing professionally, right? So that's one group and you get to do different things with that group, right? Whereas like, you know, but my sixth grader is like, oh, I love my babies. <laughs> and my seventh and eighth, right? And all the way up through 12th, most of my teaching like life has been spent in high schools and alternative pathways, high schools mostly. Okay. And so those are some, you know, the wayward children are my people, you know, <laughs> those are the ones, you know, but also um, teaching incarcerated folks, there's nothing really like it um, being in a space where, um, you know, like going in and like really just weeping with people about, you know, mm -hmm. and telling truths. like at that point, there's no real uh, nonsense that is left between us and we can really get into it. So, you know, being able to hang out and get like right on into that very profound emotional experience is um, beautiful for its own right. Also residential treatment centers, right? When people are just really at their realist um, mm. spaces where uh, I also love to be in those environments as well. So I, I love them all for a lot of different reasons. And I, I like being able to mix it up, right? I like being able to do a little bit of all of those things because um, all of them are fulfilling for different reasons. And I think any one of them, doing any one of them exclusively does burn me out. I need mm. variety and I need and I need a lot of autonomy. So um, those are things that keeping a bunch of different teaching contracts is kind of like figured out like what my balance is. Like I could do this sometimes. I can do this sometimes. <laughs> so that's, I think like what kind of keeps me balanced because I love teaching all of those different age groups. Little ones are fun, but I feel a little scared of like anything younger than, than middle school. Um, as a, as teach because most of my work is heavy, most of my thoughts are heavy, and so um, it can be really. Yeah. We can have fun. I'm like, I can't really teach you anything. We can play, but that's all we're really going to do. <laughs> yeah, I think um, you know what's really interesting is teaching incarcerated um, individuals, right? I don't think I really hear. I know there's a couple of poets who do that or writers who go in. Um, usually, I, I think I always hear men. 
right, who go into these incarcerated um, spaces. And I don't really hear much of women writers and poets who do that. Um, you know, can you talk a little bit more about like that space and, and how they receive you and how is it to be like this black woman going into this, you know, this system that is meant to oppress you? It's a trip. Um, I mean, I've been doing that work like on and off, like kind of workshops and, and et cetera. And then in 2018, a dear friend of mine who was my former professor had started a program uh, here in Colorado at Sterling Correctional Facility. And he was needing to step back. And so he asked me if I would take over the program. And so I did at that point, I was working with Lighthouse Writers Workshop. And so we collected, sort of took that programming on. So Sterling Correctional is Colorado's highest security state facility. Wow. And so, and working in with the, with the long timers. Uh, so most of the guys in that program, you know, they, they're, they've been in for a while. They're going to be in for a while. Most of them will not come out. Um, it's a very, very different experience than like the other prisons that I've taught in and jails that I've taught in. Um, Cause they are there and they have accepted that they are there generally. And so it is, but really Wayne Gilbert established that program and then me stepping in um to something he'd already cultivated that was really, really beautiful. So I think that they had already kind of worked through a lot of the fears and things that keep people from being able to like dive in. And they were already pretty emotionally exposed and trusting each other. They already had a really beautiful circle. So I just got to come and really nurture that. And it was gorgeous. And then of course the pandemic happened and they shut it down for volunteers. And so I haven't been able to actually physically go inside for a year and a half. Wow. Um, I did then start working with another, with uh, the University of Denver's Prison Arts Initiative. And so they work through, they work with all of the state facilities and uh, they did some classes like through correspondence basically. So it was kind of like this return to the nineties in some ways. Mm -hmm. So recording lectures that they then burned onto DVDs, took out to the facilities. Um, and then they would like bring in the assignments, like scan them. So it was a, it was a lot of, it was a lot of work on their part. Mm -hmm. And I'm grateful that I got to do that partnership with the UPI. So I taught uh, creative nonfiction and poetry and a lot of different things. And it's been a beautiful time being able to like kind of nurture people's storytelling, right? And remind them just overall that your voice is being heard, that your voice matters, that your story matters, that you're a person mm -hmm. and that you're seen and you're heard. Because yeah. that's something that a lot of people inside don't know and don't have that experience. Um, and have been told and are told daily that they don't matter and that no one cares about their voice. So those are things. And there's always like a little bit of a strange tension when you do go inside, especially I think being a black woman, there's like kind of this, um, you know, sort of when I'm checking in, there's kind of a vibe <laughs> I will say, of just like, well, why are you, you know, and there's this little bit of, you know, uh, testing. Um, but also like, I don't really let it get to me too much because I'm like, mm, I'm leaving after this. So you're mm -hmm. here. <laughs> I'm not mad. Like, I'm going to come in and I'm going to do this thing. But there was a moment once with one of the guards who was like, well, you know, why don't you come do some poetry classes with the guards then? You know, almost like this jealousy thing. I was like, you know what? We probably could come in and do some workshops with you because you guys are probably traumatized too. Matter of fact, uh... let's, let's get you in your hearts. <laughs> <laughs> um, Real talk. The joke and i was like well let me know because i think we probably need to bust that heart open too and see why you even have this job what's going on like what do you get out Ooh. of this why is this Ooh. what's happening what's happening in your spirit like to yeah. do this right like something probably is not cool right something is off yeah and we all need some healing yeah get into it 
Basically, but, that's what I'm getting from you. Like, Susie Q, if you just need healing, right? Thank you. No, but really, but thank you for ac- like letting us access your words. You know, when you talk about putting those strong boundaries, like, at mm-hmm. least thank you for allowing to, you know, to share part of that that world and your words with us, you know, especially during these yeah. hard times. So I really want to applaud you um, and say that you're amazing, first of all. And, and thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. And you, and you are no stranger to creating spaces for healing, mm-hmm. for creating spaces for uplifting voices. You know, uh, as we said in your bio, you were one of the founding members of uh, Slam Nuba, a mm-hmm. powerhouse of a slam. Anytime somebody saw that they're in a bout with Slam Nuba, it was like, oh, yeah. um, <laughs> here we go. <laughs> I guess we're not saving these for semis. Um, <laughs> So it just speaks to uh, the the power that you have to cultivate the people around you and the voices around you. You know, like uh, you, you're no stranger to Slam. Uh, both Rocky and I both came up through Slam. Uh, I don't know how active Denver's Slam scene has been in the past two years because of you know a pandemic. Um, still been some online Zoom situations. Some you know I haven't been to them personally because I'm tired. But <laughs> you know, but the young ones have it. They have it. Yeah. Well, the, and that was my question, because a lot of times, you know, like slam is something that kind of like introduces us and is a driving force in a lot of, you know, poets writing, especially those that are just getting started with the young people and all that fun stuff. Um, uh, and then, you know, there's life after slam. Right. Mm-hmm. But I'm curious, what what about slam have you taken with you that has kind of like helped you as you continue your career outside of slam? Like what is something that you learned in slam or that you appreciated from it? That is still something you hold on to. You know, primarily relationships, right? Um, mm. You know, slam has many, many problems and we all, you know, many of us know I left slam strongly. <laughs> um, <laughs> might have picked over and mic stand and cussed a few people out. <laughs> um, so, you know, it has its challenges. Uh, I'm, I made some of my best friends in SLAM. Uh, definitely a lot of, you know, beautiful love. And also when I think about so many writers, um, you know, I spend a lot of time in the literary world and so many writers that I hear about, I'm like, mm-hmm, I know them, you know why? Cause SLAM, um, because <laughs> SLAM was one of the few places that doesn't have gatekeepers, right? You know, I just mentioned like the, the painful process of like creating a poetry book and getting it published is like, so when you need to communicate, when you need to express, right? Like having immediate access to that. And also having, you know, just, I was in this space of um, talking about workshop processes, right? And in, a, in an MFA program, right? There's a workshop process that happens with your poems, mm-hmm. right? And learning like, well, I came up through open mics and then into slam. And so my workshop process was the room, right? I learned how to read a room. I learned how to mm-hmm. hear a room. And that's a very valuable gift, right? You know that this poem is working or not working because you hear people go, mm, Huh. Ooh, snap, snap, snap. You hear them laugh when they're supposed to laugh, right? You hear them gasp when they're supposed to gasp, right? Or you don't. And then, you know, you got to go back and hit that a little bit harder. You know what I mean? <laughs> That's like part of this workshopping process and this oral tradition that so many of us come from, right? And that is extremely valuable. Um, and I don't discount it at all. I'm very grateful for those years in SLAM where, re- where we really were workshopping each other, right? Through the audience, on our teams, right? Really getting coached and all of those that support and feedback in those ways and building community right ultimately i think that's the you know that's the most important part um that sense of community and being able to find ourselves in each other and build relationships is the more important thing than any it's more important than the poems mm, that's beautiful that's uh, uh, <laughs> i feel like i can we could keep on going and talk and talk and talk 
I, <laughs> I'm like, in my mind, I'm like, I would have so many questions. There's not enough time. Like, let me get a cup of coffee or some tea. I'm just like, let's, let's do this. Let's keep going. And I'm um, like, notes on notes on notes on notes. Susie Q, session two, season six. <laughs> well, <laughs> we'll I will be happy to come back anytime. And oh. thank you for your patience with me. Yeah, no. this has been this has been a phenomenal conversation. Um, yes. I feel like we've there's there's like besides notes, there's so many quotes that I'm just mm -hmm. kind of like I'm going to come back to. That's a poetry prompt. I'm coming back oh, to yeah. this. Uh, so clearly, it speaks to um, all the wisdom that you've gained throughout the years uh, and all the experiences that you've garnered, not just in doing the things yourself, but in creating spaces for other people to do them. So uh, we applaud you for your work and your words. Uh, could you please uh, close this out with just one last poem? Oh, well, thank you ever, ever so much. Um, I will, and thank you for having me. And I'm gonna close out with a short poem that is called Dark Humor. And this is in A Gospel of Bones. You know how my hips have never forgotten the drum. You know the way my voice sounds like a conjured grandmother. You know how I write poems like invocations, right? You know how my spirit never sleeps, how we laugh at our own temporary blood. And oh, sweet Lord, how we laugh, how buckets of glass leap from our heads, thrown back and open, how we spill sharp, choking out the swallowed stingers, how we dance until our feet blister and open, knowing the stains will tell the story of our movement. We, super magic, we beloved immortal, even our echoes got knuckles, listen, in the canyons, over the ocean crashing, our ancestors stay chanting, we in here. We still here, we've been here, we stay here, we survived, we survived, we survived. Mm. Wow. Another light applause, light applause, uproarious applause, people in the comment section. Uh, again. Brandy showing all the love. Again, this is an absolute pleasure. I feel so re-energized. Um, you know, before this whole thing was happening for our episode, you know, Tibi and I were talking about how we had kind of a hard week. And really, Susie, I'm telling you, like, your words, your demeanor, everything, like, your personality, just it just really healed me right now. And I, I'm so glad to, to end my day with this conversation, with your joyful, you know, brilliant presence. And it's, it's really an honor. Oh, thank you so very much and thank you for having me thank you for sharing that with me because you know we can go through and like think that nothing that we're doing really matters and so it's so important to hear like sometimes that it does so thank you and thank you to everyone in the comments thank you for being here and thank you for sharing oh yeah we it definitely matters i'm getting both of these books stat and working some of these poems into my curriculum because sometimes too finding appropriate material to teach middle schools is not easy appropriate material that that actually matters right that that has weight to it but that you can share with middle schoolers and I feel like a lot of the poems you shared today is like all right that's that's going in a lesson plan somewhere uh so thank you for that i know we've kind of had it displayed uh throughout the show but for anybody that's listening to the podcast after this could you please share where people can find you where people can find your books if they want to go get them, all of that fun stuff. 
I am very easy to find in these internet streets. If you Google Susie Q Smith, uh, easy. I'm on Facebook. I'm on Twitter at Susie Q Poet um, because somebody stole Susie Q Smith back in the day. And that's what happened. I'm on Instagram, Susie Q Smith. I'm on all the things. I'm not on TikTok because I am in my 40s, guys. You know, like I'm not ready. I don't. I can't learn anything. Um, my website is susieqsmith.com. And I'm very, very easy to find. <laughs> awesome, awesome, awesome. And that's Susie Q Smith, S-U-Z-I-Q-S-M-I-T-H.com. One more time, show some love in the comment section for Susie Q Smith. Thank you so much one more time. Thank you. Thank you. And thank you, Rooster, also for reaching out to me initially. Um, and thank you, Chibi, and thank you, Rocky. This has been beautiful. Yay. Uh, I know, our behind-the-scenes team that's taking care of us all. <laughs> all right. <laughs> Very, very cool. Oh, Rocky, I think you wow. I, you I think you said it best where it's like I needed it. Yes. I, I didn't know that I needed it until this happens, right? <laughs> you know, all of our guests that we bring on are, are just absolutely amazing. I know that our I appreciate them, our audience appreciates them. Um, but there are sometimes poets that come on that we just didn't know or just hit a little different because of the week or what we're going through. And I think Susie's presence today was definitely one of those that I will remember um, yeah. going forward. I, I tried to make as many notes as possible, but I'm totally going to go listen to the podcast uh, oh, tomorrow yeah. or whenever I publish it um, and and just re go because there's so many pearls of wisdom in there, so many gems that were shared, so many uh, things where it's like, I want to put that on a post-it note right next to my computer, right? So I can see it every day. That's my mantra for the day. Um, so great. So they uh, loved having her on. Thank you to the audience. You guys have been really engaging and we love, we do this show live for a reason because we want you guys to be part of the show. Uh, so thank you for throwing in all the love that you threw in the, in the comment section. We appreciate it. Um, let's, let's, let's thank some people. Let's, let's share some information and let's, let's bounce. Cause she needs her eight hours of rest. For real. Me too. And I'm starting to get hungry. So my body needs to be fed too. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Um, so yeah, I just want to say, you know, thank you to our, you know, production crew. Um, and just thank you to the audience, really. Without you, it wouldn't help. But you can always follow us on IG and, and Twitter at words and shh, right? Um, you can like see that over there. Mm -hmm. And whether this is your first time joining us or if you've been here before, you can catch up on past episodes. Words and Shit is a channel on YouTube. If you subscribe and we reach 100 followers, then it will be youtube.com slash words and shh. Until then, it's just a whole bunch of random numbers, but we're almost at 100. Uh, or if you prefer to listen to our episodes, they are available wherever you get your podcast. There are more than 60 episodes of this show out there. I promise you there are poets out there that you love that you're going to enjoy the episodes. And there are poets out there that you've never heard of that you're going to love the episodes. So go check them out wherever you get your podcasts. Yeah, and if this was your first time or your 40th, you know, episode with us, thank you. But come back, you know, same time, same place uh, for next week because our feature is going to be on Tuesday, you know, August 10th, Lady B from Baltimore. 